just just dropping the plate when you leave, and we'll get it to you. So just, I'm kidding. Well, some people get mad if I say something like that, but I know y'all wouldn't. So. Besides, that's all still full of turkey, I can tell. Did you have a good turkey day? All the kids and family came in, and now they're about all gone. And now we're really celebrating after the day. So. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I've still got my one of my sons is here this morning, and his friend Anna. So they stayed the weekend with us, and so it's good to have them. But so we get to get them out. They eat too much. Do what? What do you do that, Greg? That's my grandson. I usually forget him. I try real hard anyway. Oh, he's a pretty, he's a senior this year, and he told me last night he's looking for a girlfriend. So if you know anybody, he's helping him out a little bit. He's he's a little shy, but anyway. I wanted to sort of change course, change courses a little this morning. What is our duty as a Christian citizen? Have you ever thought about it? What is our duty as a Christian citizen? What what should be different about us that sets out that people notice about us? Today our passage of scripture addresses how Christians should be good citizens. Now, I know that's not always possible, and I know we live in a crazy time right now. And, you know, the, this side hates the president, this side loves the president, this one in the middle won't care one way or the other. But it's, there are certain things that we're told in God's Word that we're to abide by as Christians, as Christian citizens. Before I read, it's important that you understand a little bit of the historical context. When Peter wrote these words, let's go back in time for just a little bit. The setting is in Rome. The year is about 80, uh, 44 A.D. Claudius is the Roman emperor. His niece, Agrippin, uh, Agrippina, seduces her uncle, and he agrees to marry her and adopt her son. He gives his adopted son the name of Nero. Now, if you remember anything about Nero, he was one of the worst kings that ever lived. More vicious king, but probably be a better way to put it. Agrippina was an ambitious woman who poisoned her first two husbands, including Nero's biological father. Claudius already had a biological son named Britannicus, who was in line for the throne. But through the crafty scheming scheming of Agrippina, she convinced Claudius to name Nero as the next in line to the throne. And he finally agreed. Now, it gets better as it goes on. Bear with me. There were some crazy people in there these days. Soon after, Agrippina arranged for Claudius to be poisoned to death. After her first two husbands, you'd think he would be a little suspicious of her son. So, from tender age of 17, Nero became the fifth emperor, uh, fifth Roman emperor. Nero earned the reputation as one of the most wicked, depraved rulers in history. Then, according to Roman historian Nero and his mother, then plotted the death of Britannicus. So he couldn't pose a threat to the throne. These two were working behind the scenes. Must have been madness, right? Anyway, we'll, we'll just skip that part. What goes around comes around because by the time that Nero was 21 years old, he hated his mother he made four attempts to kill her, three times with poison, and once with a boat. Yeah, I said B-O-A-T. 
He built a boat to hold a float in. He was hoping that it would go out soon because it was made to fall apart once they got out there. Now, that's a loving sign, isn't it? But it didn't happen. Because, number one, she was a, a specialist at designing ways to get even with people. And so, soon after, Nero sent an assassin. Now, Nero, the, the son, who clubbed and stabbed her to death. Would you like to live in that day and age right there? Nero fancied himself as a great singer. And I emphasize Nero fancied himself as a singer. Because if you go back and read about him, the writer said he had little or no talent whatsoever. But he loved to dress up in costume and perform on stage in front of an audience who were forbidden to leave until he decided it was time for them to go. I'm not going to do that this day. I thought about that. That's what I want to get Bill to do, but I, I decided I'm not going to do it. But anyway, in front of the audience, who were, who were forbidden to leave as long as he was on stage. In the summer of 64 A.D., a terrible fire broke out in Rome. For nine days, it raged out of control. Two-thirds of the city was destroyed. Although it was rumored that Nero set the fire, most historians say that he was probably out of town at that time, so he couldn't have done it. But anyway, let's move a little farther. Upon hearing about the fire, he returned. The notion that, that says, you've heard, probably heard the little riddle, Nero fiddled by Rome burning, is what they claim happened. But that's not really true either. Because if you look up fiddles and violins, they weren't even invented until the 17th century. So it couldn't have been because of them that what happened. But anyway, at the very time that Rome burned, he mounted his private stage and sang about the destruction of Troy. Because of the rumor that he had set the fire, Nero quickly looked for a group of people to blame, and he found the perfect scapegoat in what we call today Christians. At his direction, believers were arrested and executed. Tacitus wrote, Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement they were covered with wild beast skins and torn to death by wild dogs inside an arena while everybody applauded, watching these Christians being shredded to pieces and killed. That's pretty vicious. That's the day that our forefathers grew up in a lot. Others were set on fire to serve to eliminate, eliminate at night when daylight began to go down. They would literally use these Christians as torches put them out with a great pole, pound to it or nail to it, whatever the choice they had, and then they would ride their chariots through the garden as these people burned to death. That's what some Christians have had to face over the years, folks. Now, I don't think we're in danger of that. I don't think our government's gone that far yet. It may not be too far before we start seeing some things. But that's what our ancestors as early Christians faced. And they faced it on a regular basis. Because of the rumor that, that he set the fire, Nero quickly looked up the, the group called the Christians. He would blame them for it. And that's exactly what he did for several years. Until, of course, at his death, he was also put to death. After a few more years of perverse behavior, 
There were plots to remove Nero in 68 AD. The Senate voted to have him flogged to death. As they were coming to take him away to be put to death, Nero committed suicide. His last words were, What an artist the world loses in me. That's the arrogance of the man Nero. You go back and read your history books and things, and he was one of the most vicious rulers that ever lived. If you got up one morning and just happened to pass him on the street and looked in the wrong way, he could have you arrested and put in jail or put to death. That's how serious it was. Now, what does that have to do with this? Well, if you will, turn with me to first, uh, to Second Peter chapter one, or Second Peter chapter two, excuse me, and we're going to read a little of the story that Peter writes behind the story. Second Peter chapter two, verse one. Would you stand together as we read these words together? Second Peter chapter two, verse one, reading down to verse seventeen. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you, who were secretly bringing destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought who bought them and bring and bring themselves swift destruction. And many would follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you and dis- with deceptive words. For a little time, a little, a long time, their judgment has been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and, and deliver them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one out of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the fl- in the flood of the world un- of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live godly. Verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the, filth, by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteousness soul from, from day to day by seeing and hearing of their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptation and reserve the just under punishment for the day of judgment. In verse 10, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of the uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, where aimed as angels or are greater in power and might, do not bring reviling accusations against them before the Lord. Let's say the Lord Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given us. Lord, sometimes we don't completely understand what you're trying to say to us. But Lord, you make it very clear here for words to say, our fellow man. Do things with our fellow men. Encourage our fellow men and women. And Lord, that's even in the church. That we're to love each other as we've never loved before. Go with us now as we open our Bible and study your word. So we can see you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A lot of Bible scholars believe that the Apostle Peter was in Rome when he wrote this letter. And that it was written when Nero, the man we just discussed for five minutes, was the emperor. So how would you think Peter would direct 
Christians to relate to the government authorities. I know our government right now seems like it's total chaos, and some days it is, I don't But we're still told to take and honor our officials. Okay? We voted on that. We put in office that we support. And I, you know, we live in crazy days right now. I've never seen anything like it. You're either on one side or the other side. You either hate our president's pieces or you love them to pieces. It doesn't matter. And that's the way the world is right now, it seems like, at least in the United States people. In First Peter chapter 2, we find four statements about relationships. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've not seen this before or not dug into it a little bit. But we find four different statements about relationships. These four statements represent four different dimensions of life. In all these relationships, our response should be God directed. Now, stay with me and listen to me for a few moments. We'll be out here in kind of half anyway. Let's note the first three, and then we'll just look, devote more attention to the fourth one. For instance, we are told to all people we should show proper did you notice it didn't say to the Christians we should show respect? It says to all people. That means every nationality. That means every type of person. That means every personality. That means the ones we don't like. But we're still told to show proper respect for these people. The word honor he uses in verse 17 means to respect. That includes people, all people everywhere. It doesn't matter if we have a new family from Bangladesh walking here next week. We're still supposed to show them respect. That's the way the Bible teaches. We're to learn to show respect to all people, not just the ones in our church family, but everybody that we see. We should show respect. I know there's a lot of differences between nationalities of people. We are a good example right here in Coppice Cove and Killeen area. And you've got, I, I suppose, every nationality you can find of any race. Right here today. And according to that word, we're to honor each one of them. It means to respect them, regardless of who they are or what they do. All people are created by God. You don't have to agree with all of them or even like all of them. But you can still respect them, no matter what you mean. We have a good variety. I'll never forget the first Sunday we walked into this church. And it just, I looked around and I saw every nationality, I think, on the face of the earth that was there that day. It's a thing I know today. And that's what makes our church unique, is because we have people of all races and backgrounds and other things. We come from different areas, different backgrounds. Yeah, I'm Texan. I've been Texan all my life. That's all I've ever known. But I still respect that. Even inside of that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't get mad at me. But that includes all people everywhere, regardless of race, religion, nationality. All people are created by God, and you don't have to agree with them or even like them, but you can still respect them. And that means outside these doors, that means inside the doors, that means everywhere we go. We are so Unless someone has done something extreme to forfeit their values to the world, we must honor or respect them. It doesn't matter who they are, where they came from, 
whether I can uh, understand them or not, that's irrelevant. We're to respect them in things that we do. The next thing we see, to believers, we're to show unconditional love. To believers, we're, show, we're to show unconditional love. In the word, it's the word agape. Many of you've heard about that word all your life, probably. The Bible never commands us to love those who aren't like anybody else. Did you get that? The Bible never commands us to love those who are not part of the body of Christ. But the children's section inside of them. We are commanded to show agape, unselfish love to all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's us. We're here today. We're to show respect and honor and unselfish love to all of our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. In other words, if you're a child of God today, we're supposed to show respect to every one of No matter where you're at, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you're headed, we're to show respect to that. To the body of Christ. Now, what about somebody who isn't always showing love to we can't love other believers without the supernatural power. It's supernatural power. We can't love them. There are some people that are hard to love. You may not figure that out yet, but there are. And some of them are called Baptists. In fact, a bunch of them are called Baptists. Some people inside the Baptist church, and of course, I'm not talking about us, we're not just the Some people outside the Baptist church can get called out. To God, we are to show a loving fear. That's not a paralyzing fear that causes you to hide from God. It involves awe and reverence as you consider the awesome power of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 1.17, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a beautiful verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to get wiser? You're in the Lord. When you truly fear God, you'll say, God, I, I, just, I just love you so much. I'm going to obey you, and I'll still fear you so much. In fact, I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't obey you. That's why I've got to look at a Christian. If we have a, let's just say we've got a person in the church, and he's not a Christian, he's not a very loving person, and he jumps on somebody one day for a little more. We're to love him back into the church. We're to show him the kindness that we have. And hopefully winning him over because of that. The fourth thing, to the government we should show graciously honor. To the government we should show honor. In this passage on Christian citizenship, we'll spend the rest of the time focused on how we should relate I mean, I'm sure every one of you turn on the news every morning and you see what goes on in Washington, D.C. in different places. I mean, it's almost, sometimes I just turn my TV off and don't even watch But this individual that we have as our nation's leader was elected by the people. Whether I like him or not, that's not, that's irrelevant. He's still 
so we're told to the government we should show honor. And he is the picture of our government. Some people don't like the Bible because the Bible message being is government on politics. Well, you shouldn't mention government and politics and all that stuff in the, in the church. That shouldn't be mentioned. I disagree with you. I believe that God's Word says it. We need to say it again. We need to bring it out. They scream that you shouldn't mix religion and politics. I like what the old Methodist evangelist said, uh, Sam Jones used to say. The man who yells the loudest about mixing religion with politics really doesn't have much religion to mix, mix with his politics. I think that's a pretty true statement right there. I'm not talking about religion or politics. I don't want to share with you things of that nature. I just want to touch on that so we can get on. Because we are to show respect to our government people. Whether you like them or not. We're to show respect to them. To honor them, I guess would be a better way to put it. How do we do that? If you want to be a good Christian, good Christian citizen, you should make three affirmations. Number one, I will submit to the government for God's sake. Let me say that again. That may not have sunk in. I will, I will submit to the government for God's sake. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, We are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. What do you want to talk about? Our laws. Now, I know enough about proper clothes that if I drove to my house in Japan, got on one night and decided I'm going to hit that truck as harder than fast in the day, so I drove to about 45 miles an hour, and I was just blowing the doors off, and they stopped me and gave me a ticket. I knew I'd be in trouble. Now, that hasn't happened yet, but it, it could one of these days. But it, when the laws are set, for good citizens, we're Christian citizens, we need to honor those laws. Whether you like it or not. I, I don't like that law, that wire seat belt. Let me tell you that story. Remember when the seat belt, belt first came out about 20, 25 years ago? The early 80s, wasn't it? Early 90s? Whatever it was, anyway. I was, you know, don't ask me to forgive me just in front of me, but I was playing bullhead. I'm not going to wear a seat belt. But we lived up in the Bonham area that, at that time, and I was running the hospital in Sherman, Texas, even over the past because of the power it's so hot. For about six months, I would never ever take two months. I don't like those things. I'm not wearing them. One day I was going to a little small town close to where we lived. Just a little man told me, Black Eagle. I thought, now that was me. They are not me. I'm not Black Eagle at all. I pulled off up in the highway patrol and came to Linda. She said, Son, if you're not wearing a seat belt, started getting up and up. She said, what are you? What do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. She said, you ought to live there. That was his words to me. As he wrote the ticket out. Now, I did not understand this at the time, but about a week later, the same officer caught me doing the same thing through the same town that I just came through. But now, here's what I did not know. I knew that they could do that. But I didn't realize that according to our state law at the time, don't know this for fact. He told me it was. When you get a ticket within a certain amount of days, I believe it's five days, another ticket, it doubles in the fee. I went home and I had hit those tickets because I didn't want to the fine. I was trying to figure out some way to sum up with the over $200 that thing was paying. Well, let me tell you something. That state fee 
some people think folks like us who get on Sunday and worship and study the Bible and really are, are really a part of a scary cult. You gotta watch those Christians. They're addicted and turn the back on They lump us all together like people like uh, people like David Perez from Waco over what, twenty years now where it was took place. They lump us together. Or they compare us to Jim Jones who led his followers to drink the poison Kool-Aid in Guyana. Many Americans speak of the dangers of Christian life. A lot of the Americans are scared of you and I because we're the Christian life. Yeah, I guess they're the Christian norm, but they are. They think that we want to replace the Constitution with our Bible. Well, they have a pretty good idea of that. And that we want to elect a, pres- a preacher as a president. That's what they all have a preacher for. I'm not running. Don't worry about that. People who say that about us are just ignorant of what the Bible says and about how we should live. Our job is to convince them that we're good citizens, first and foremost. We're not troublemakers. At least we shouldn't be. Now, are there troublemakers? Of course there are. And some of them are Christians. They go by their own Christians. First Peter chapter two fourteen, government officials are sent by God for a reason, it says. It says they are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. C. S. Lewis, of course he's long dead now, but he's one of my favorite writers. I've got several of his books over there also over there. Here's what he said. C. S. Lewis Lewis stated it this way. The state exists simply to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire, over a fire, a couple of friends having a game of darts in a pub, a man reading a book in his own room, or digging in his garden, that is what the state appears like. And unless they are helping to prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, armies, courts, and are a waste of time. Let's examine two purposes of the government that he states real quick. Number one, government is instituted to punish wrongdoing. The Bible says that God uses government as an earthly, as his earthly instrument to punish wrongdoers. When people break the law, they need to be elected. Stopped at least and perhaps arrested. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite shows on TV is Live Cop. Y'all watch that? All right. I know good people in here. The Bible tells us that the government has his earthly instrument to punish wrongdoers. The Apostle Paul wrote, listen to this, this is Romans 4, uh, 13, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read it to you, you can turn it if you want to. Romans 13, verse 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to do worse, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? For what is good, and you will have praise from the saints. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. A servant was not an object of capital punishment. To me, this is a clear biblical justification that it's all right to have capital punishment in America. Now, that's my opinion. I think that we punish some criminals too, far too lightly. It is never right to seek a personal vengeance, obviously, when we are 
when we are wrong. That's the job of our criminal system. That's why we have police officers, sheriff's departments, so forth. They are to take care of the ones that do things that are evil-minded, perhaps. The second thing, government is instituted to commend right conduct. Not only is government ordained by God to punish evil, but it is directed by God to commend good behavior. Just imagine driving along and being pulled over by a policeman. I'm sort of on a subject today. I know it hasn't happened lately. He walks up to your window, window and says, I wanted to commend, uh, compliment you for driving so safely today. And let me go. Has that ever happened to anybody? Well, it hasn't happened to me, but anyway. It probably won't happen, but that's part of the government's role to commend when people do the right thing. Police departments recognize officers and citizens who have performed in an exceptional way on their jobs and things of that nature, perhaps, during times of crisis. Any kind of government organization recognizes people for doing good, they're fulfilling God's purpose according to our government. When President George H. Bush was in office, he started a program called A Thousand Points of Life. Do you remember that? These were awards to give recognition and honor to American citizens who are making a positive difference in our culture. He was right on target. Now, in order for the government to punish wrong and reward right, it brings up another important issue. We live in a most modern, modern culture where people insist that there are no absolute truths. It may be right for you, but it's not wrong for me. America is in trouble. We have departed from the basic moral code that served us for over 200 years. It's known as the Judeo-Christian ethic, and it's still around today. And I wish it would get more revived in, in our world. It's based on the moral code of the Bible, including the Ten Commandments. Our founding fathers made it clear they considered the Bible as an important basis for our standards for right and wrong. The second president of the United States, John Adams, wrote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is totally inadequate to govern of any other type people. That was said years ago, 1798, that statement was made. Still exists today. We don't really go by it anymore. We've thrown it out with all the other things. One of the, design, uh, one of the signs of the Declaration of Independence was a physician from Philadelphia named Benjamin Rush, R U S H, who's often called the father of American medicine. He served as U.S. Treasurer and was part of the group of who composed our Constitution. Dr. Rush wrote, by, the, by renouncing the Bible, Philosophers swing from the moorings upon the all moral subject. It is the only correct mouth of the human heart that has ever been published. All systems of religion, morals, and government not founded upon it must perish. What does that mean to me? I'm free to be a slave. First and last word in 
verse uh, chapter first two chapter two verse sixteen says live as free. Then it says live as bond servants of God. Why is this thing important? He's totally simple thing. He says that I have the right to live free as any person has, but I've also got the right to be one of Jesus Christ's bond servants. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't mind being that person. I'll take that with any day of the week. Freedom is a right, but it also carries responsibilities. We are free, but we gladly submit to our government and we submit to God as His servant. The word for servant here really means slave. That means we always answer to a high task of anyone around us. It would be our trust when we mandate man-made laws command us to violate God's laws. We've got to make a decision at that time. There may come a day when the government tells us, you either stop reading that Bible or I'll put you in prison. I hope that if I'm around at that day, my choice is then I'll take care because I'm not going to stop praying for my day. In the Old Testament, Daniel provides a perfect example of civil disobedience. When he was a child of God in exile in Babylon, he, was, he submitted to the Babylonian leaders. But when a law was issued that said that people can only pray to King Darius, remember what Daniel did? Remember, he was just a teenager at this time. He went out to his room. He opened the windows toward Israel, and he got on his knees and began to pray. God, if this happens, give me the strength to make it through. If our government ever passes a law saying that you can no longer preach God's word, what would you do? Would you say, "Oh, that's no big deal. I'll just start doing something else." Here's the conclusion with this. As we see the degradation of decency, now this is my opinion, you don't get mad at me, but I believe we're seeing our nation going down to What we're facing is unbelievable. When you see the degradation of decency in America, do you know what most Christians are doing? I don't know who it was, a little story. I remember reading it as a young man. I couldn't find it in my record, so I don't have it. I'll just try to give you a gist of it. This man was talking about that he got put in prison and how sorry it was because he couldn't do the thing and serve the church and what he wanted to do. But that's all right. He could still live a happy life in prison. So he goes on each step of the way and finally comes to the end of it. And the story says, I wanted to do something, but there was no longer anybody to help me do it. And folks, if you're not careful, that's where we can be as a church, as a people, as individuals. But God never promised us a free ride. But He did promise us one thing. If you'll be true to me, I'll make sure that you meet the best thing. Folks, that's what it's all about. Dear God, as we come to close this service, Lord, you know the hearts of each and every person here. Lord, it's just going to sing a few verses of invitation. And there may be somebody here that needs to just step out and use these steps up front as the altar. 
We have deacons that do on both sides of the building. Lord, we send up that place for the come to. Lord, they may just have questions, but then they also may be seeking for something in their life that they know just leaves a hole in their life. Lord, I believe with all my heart that you will send Lord, whatever the need, whoever the day, don't let us close this invitation for each one had an opportunity to accept you. We're not going to sing a long time. We're not going to talk a long time. We have the message. God's word has been presented. We can't do anything about it. But Lord, you can. Lord, you know each heart that's here. Break our hearts with the message to give us.